Well, you can tell that things are um, really speeding up around here just by the number of announcements. It's good to kind of get back to normal. We, boy, continue to pray for this pandemic that um, things can be under control so that 2022 can be a, kind of a new chapter for us. Uh, of course, I, I just want to say one thing about the stewardship campaign as we, we go forward. It's, uh, this, this next year is so important. We're coming out of such an unti- a time of uncertainty and struggle. And honestly, we don't even know how many people are still left in our church exactly um, and who's going to show up when we really reopen. Um, last year, our giving was down considerably. So uh, we hope that we rally and we believe that we will and that we will grow in our generosity and in every other way uh, here at PCC. If you have not been here in the prior three weeks, we've been doing this series of sermons called Songs of the Season, and we are taking popular Christian or Christmas songs, uh, not hymns so much, but popular secular songs that uh, we all know and love. And basic thesis of this series is that those songs contain certain yearnings of the human heart that have been met through the coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord, to earth. Uh, that many of these songs we love because they really touch a deep part of our soul uh, that, of course, is met through the incarnation of Christ. So today, we are looking at one of the most beloved Christmas songs of all time. And you've been wondering, how am I going to tie in Rudolph in theology? But it's going to happen. So here, uh, here is our scripture for today, a very, uh, very well-known passage from Luke chapter 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. God, we pray that you would uh, make clear to us today or make clear what it means that you came to earth and that you are indeed the Messiah. We pray that you would speak to our hearts uh, in the deepest parts of our hearts, that we would be open to your Holy Spirit um, speaking to us in our minds and our hearts. And God, I pray for uh, anyone here today who may be new or maybe even be new to the church uh, and new to faith, and is just exploring. We pray that this message especially of God's love will come through very clearly. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You know Dasher, and Dancer, and Prancer, and Comet, and Cupid, and Donner, and... But do you recall... The most famous reindeer of all. Okay, here we go, folks. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. 
And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They wouldn't let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer dames. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then how the reindeers loved him as they shouted out with glee, Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, you'll go down in hurry. Great job! You know, I could tell these last two weeks you knew these songs. Uh, Santa Claus comes coming, coming to town in this one, Rudolph. We know this song, don't we? We love this song. Uh, my guess is that everyone here today knows the words to this song. And you know what? You cannot think about this. You cannot say that about many songs in our culture today, right? I mean, what can you say? Star Spangled Banner? Mary Had a Little Lamb? 99 Bottles of Beer on the Wall? And that one's tricky because the verse changes 99 times, right? So this is a very popular Christmas song. You can't really imagine uh, Christmas without it, right? Yet it really hasn't been along, around that long. Do you know the history of Rudolph and this song? It's pretty interesting. It came about because in 1939, Montgomery Ward, remember Montgomery Ward? I don't, but I'm sure some of you do. <laughs> For a number of years during the Depression, they gave away comic books. When people came to their store, it's kind of a promotional. And in 1939, they asked one of their copywriters, a copywriter who wrote primarily for the catalog, to write a children's story that they could develop into a comic for that, for that year's promotional comic book. And he came up, his name was uh, Robert May, 34 years old, and he came up with this story of Rudolph. Gave away millions of copies of that book that year, immensely popular. So that was the creation of the Rudolph character. And, you know, he made enough money from that story to feed his family, take care of his family for the rest of their lives. In 10 years later, another significant uh, event in the life of Rudolph, songwriter Johnny Marks, the brother-in-law of Robert May, wrote this song that has become so popular. And of course, the singing cowboy, Gene Autry, made that initial recording, sold two million copies. That's pretty amazing when you think about the population of the United States in 1949. Second best-selling uh, Christmas song of all time until the 1980s. And one of the most popular 
160 million recordings, 500 different artists have made a recording of this song, 7 million copies of sheet music translated into 25 languages. 1964, another big event. What happened? Burl Ives <laughs> decided that, uh, well, was hired to be the narrator for a TV special on Rudolph. Now, you know that, but did you know highest rated, longest running TV special in the history of television? Yeah, pretty imp almost as impressive as our screen today, isn't it? And, of course, a number of spin-off uh, specials came from that first one. And it doesn't end there. Obviously, can you think of all the merchandise, toys, ornaments, ugly sweaters that have grown out of the story of Rudolph? It just wouldn't be Christmas without this little reindeer, right? So I say all that to show how this little story has touched so many people. And it begs the question, what is it about this song that makes it so popular year after year, and now really generation after generation? What is it about this little reindeer with the shiny nose that makes him so endearing? Well, I think, you know, the song, the tune is catchy, but that's really not it. Is it? It's, it's the story. And what is this story? Well, it's about a misfit. Kind of a, a loser. Who doesn't quite fit in with all the rest of the reindeer because of this shiny nose. And even in the TV special, which kind of added to the story, Rudolph leaves home and goes where? to the island of misfit toys, because he feels rejected. Rudolph is the kid who doesn't make the team, who isn't part of the homecoming court, or is never elected class president. Rudolph is the kid who eats lunch, maybe, by himself in the cafeteria. But then, because of a foggy Christmas Eve, what happens? Well, through the brilliance of Santa, his biggest liability becomes his greatest asset. And he becomes a hero. He becomes part of the group and is totally accepted. Kind of a classic underdog story, isn't it? Actually, I, as I read about this this week, one person said, it's the American dream. And that's why we love it so much. Because of our accomplishments, we are accepted in love. But do you see the deeper yearning that lies behind this uh, simple story and this song? They are human yearnings for acceptance. Human yearnings for being loved just for who we are. With all our weirdness <laughs> and idiosyncrasies, we want to be loved just for who we are. And that is really the powerful message of this little story. It's so interesting that Robert May, the man who wrote this story, was often picked on 
and teased as a kid because he was painfully shy and small, kind of scrawny. You know, this week I was, we have a, a, an alley behind our house, and I was watching the kids of the neighborhood play football. And uh, there were probably about 10 of them out there, and right away, you know, some things never change. <laughs> I could see who the athletes were, who the leaders were, who the kids looked up to. And there was this one kid, as I watched this, who obviously was not the greatest athlete. In fact, probably wasn't an athlete at all. And something was said to him. I couldn't quite hear it. But I realized he walked away with his head down. I thought, wow, there is a wound. As I look out and I see my friend who's a counselor, I think, there is a wound that will cause this kid maybe to go to a counselor. <laughs> because we all have those wounds. And sometimes those wounds go back to childhood and they can shape our lives. Uh, years later, we can be very successful adults and yet still be affected by the words spoken to us or the wounds that happen in our lives because we're not accepted. Wounds that happen on the playground or being forced to sit alone in the cafeteria. Some of us heard voices when we were young and even older, maybe throughout our lives, that we didn't quite measure up, that we weren't quite cool enough, didn't make the grade, and didn't make the cut. And these words, these voices, man, they have a power effect. And sometimes they're from people, are most, the most important people in our lives. They can haunt us. And no matter what happens in our, our lives, we may always feel a little bit like Rudolph, a misfit. Never quite accepted. Man, these kind of wounds can drive us. Oh, boy, I've read so many stories of people who are driven and have, talking, have talked to people in my office. People who are striving, driven in their careers to make a lot of money, to prove to themselves and to others that they are valuable, that they are worthwhile, and they need to be loved. See, this is the message of Christmas. It was amazing to me how the, the lighting of the Advent candle today and Scott's prayers and even the prayer confession, everything that we talked about this morning really got to the heart of Christmas. And what is it? For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The message of Christmas is that God has come down in human form. Perfect love has taken on flesh and has come to the world to love the entire world and us. That's the need. That's the deepest yearning of our hearts. Blaise Pascal once said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every human heart. created by God that can only be met, can only be filled through the love of God. 
God loves us with this perfect love. And that is the only love that can really make us feel accepted and secure. It's the deepest yearning of every heart. Now, have you ever sensed that yearning? We feel it, and sometimes we don't recognize it, but it's there. And the good news of Christmas is that God is eager for us to experience this love. What we celebrate at Christmas is this thing called the incarnation, God becoming human, putting on flesh, carne, and revealing himself to us in a human being. And interesting, from this passage today, what we see is that God came, when God came, he had this particular affinity for misfits, for ragamuffins, for people who felt very much like Rudolph and had been rejected. He came to those people because he wants them to know that he loves them. You see, in the time of Christ, people were kind of broken up into two groups. There were some who were in the circle of God's love, the religious people, the people that could keep the law, the people that kept their noses clean, and there there were those outside of the scope of God's love. The prostitutes, the poor, the lepers, the misfits, who were told you are outside the scope of God's love. Because of the way you live life. Interesting that Jesus came to those misfits to announce or that to reveal his life to them. See it in our story today from Luke. Shepherds were the first to hear the good news from the angel. They were outcasts. I mean, think about it. Shepherds are kind of weird. They live with sheep. And at that time, they were considered just really outcasts, kind of the bottom rung of the ladder. I find it so interesting, don't you, that this is who received the name or the news of Christ's birth? Simple shepherds out in the fields. I think it was absolutely intentional because God came to the misfits of the world. He chose to announce the birth of his son not to kings and queens and the wealthy and the influential and the prestigious, but the outcasts, the people who didn't quite make the grade, the Rudolphs. And we see this same theme throughout the life of Jesus. He even said, I have come not for the healthy, but for the sick, for those in need of a doctor. Christ reached out to those on the margins, over and over and over again, to the lepers, to the prostitutes, to the poor, to those who had been rejected, those who were sick. And he wanted them to know that they were loved, that they were not outside the scope of God's love, but they were of great value to God, and that they mattered to God a great deal. Friends, there's two things I want us to to walk away with today from this story, this passage of scripture and this story of Rudolph. First is this. 
I want you to know, if you've never heard this before, who you have not experienced it, that more than anything else, God wants you to know that you are loved. That God knows you better than you know yourself. And he loves you. He knows all your secrets. He knows all your weaknesses. He knows all your weirdness. <laughs> and he loves that person. Not a pretended person. Because folks, really, all of us are a little bit like Rudolph, are we not? <laughs> I mean, here's the message from this song. I think it's so popular because we all relate to it. We're all broken. Now, there are two types of persons. Those who admit they're broken and those who don't. <laughs> and I think this is what Jesus when Jesus says, I have come to those who are broken and sick. I think what he's saying is, I'm coming for everybody. But especially those who know they have a need for me. You know, I read a, a devotional this week uh, by Oscar Romero. Remember him? He, he was a Catholic priest in Nicaragua, fought for the rights of the poor. And he said, you know what? Christmas is for the poor. And what he was saying there is, it's for all of us, but we have to admit that we're poor. And see, I think the thing about Rudolph, that we love it so much, is it hits a part of our soul because we all have wounds. We all have a little bit of a limp. We all have insecurities. And we may put on nice clothes or have a nice title, but boy, there is a tender, broken spot in each one of us. Wouldn't you agree? And what God wants to do for each one of us is to love that spot, love all of you, but for you to know especially that he loves you with all your wounds and all your hurts and all your brokenness. You know, Charles Schultz, who wrote, Schultz, who wrote uh, Peanuts, person of faith, and he was once asked, why did you write your comic strip and have the prime character be a loser? <laughs> Charlie Brown, right? He said this, and see, here's his brilliance. We can all identify much more closely with losing than winning because most of us have lost. Would you agree with that? Well, here's, this isn't in the notes. <laughs> I would hope our church, as we think about what we want to be in the future, that we would be a church who could admit that we're a bunch of losers, <laughs> even in Piedmont. And that losers are welcome. The misfits, the hurting people, the people who struggle with alcoholism, the people who are in a tough marriage, that this could be a place, right? These are three points I want to make. This is a new one. That you can come just as you are. And see, I think this is God's vision for the church. It's not that we would be, I've heard it said once, that we would be a hospital for sinners, for broken people. 
and that people could come here and meet real people who are willing to admit their brokenness and willing to love others just as they are. Amen? Don't you think that would be an attractive church? I can tell you it will be. Now i got to go back. Yeah. I want to read from a book called Life of the Beloved, which written by Henry Nouwen, a Catholic priest, spiritual writer. I think I've mentioned him before. One of the primary influences in my life as a Christian. And he wrote this book called Life of the Beloved to a friend who was a secular Jew, a journalist who had interviewed him for a number of stories. And he said, Henry, I see something in your life. I don't know what it is, but can you write a book for me and my secular friends in New York City that would explain to me and us the spiritual life and what it means to be in relationship with God and what it is that you have. Can you write that so that we can understand it? You know, he wrote this book and his friend said, well, I still don't understand it, but I think it's a great book. (laughs) (laughs) And when people ask me for a book about who are searching, who are investigating, Faith, for the first time, this is most often the book. I have a number of copies in my office. I give them away. This is what Nowen writes. He says, still, I do believe that in order to live a spiritual life, we have to claim for ourselves that we are, quote, taken or, quote, chosen. Let me try to explain a bit on these words. When I know that I am chosen, I know that I have been seen as a special person. Someone has noticed me in my uniqueness and has expressed a desire to know me, to come close to me, to love me. (laughs) When I write to you that as the beloved, we are God's chosen ones, I mean that we have been seen by God from all eternity. And this is right out of Ephesians 1 and seen as unique, special, precious beings. It is very hard for me to express well the depth of the meaning of the word chosen and what it has for me, but I hope you are willing to listen to me from within. From all eternity, long before you were born and became a part of history, you existed in God's heart. Long before your parents admired you or your friends acknowledged your gifts, or your teachers, colleagues, and employers encouraged you, you were already chosen. The eyes of love had seen you as precious, as of infinite beauty, and as of eternal value. When life chooses, it chooses with a a perfect sensitivity for the unique beauty of the chosen one, and it chooses without making anyone else feel excluded. The key to the spiritual life and the key to life abundant. You are loved. One more thing I have to say. (laughs) This is the third one. And this is the next chapter in this book. We're chosen and then we are called to give away this love. Christ calls us, those who know this love, to give it away 
especially to the lost and the least and the last and the left out. That's the gospel. To the poor and to those who feel marginalized. That's why we give at Christmas, and that's why we're taking this Christmas offering, so we can express Christ's love in a very tangible, very concrete way to people who are suffering terribly. We can really make a difference for some families in need this Christmas. Let's pray. God, we pray that we would grow, will you grow, that we would grow in this knowledge, in this experience of your perfect love for us. I pray that as a congregation we would know to the, to the depths of our being that we are loved with this perfect love that came down to earth and continues to reach out to people today. Lord, we thank you for the freedom, the joy that is ours when we grow in this love and realize a little more each day that we matter to you. And God, may we also be a congregation that extends that love to others, to any who walks through this door, that they would know that they are loved not just by God, but by us. And Lord, may you help us to give that love away to those who are in need. We pray these things in the powerful name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.